your host, Sean Aaron, and welcome to Them Boys Inc. Podcast. This show is a platform where trans men of color voices can be amplified as we share our transitional stories and many other issues that are relatable to trans men of color in our existence. This show is not only to amplify our voices, but to raise awareness and conversation around our lived experiences. My next guest, I had the opportunity to sit down with Melly. Melly is a first-generation trans, non-binary, bilingual therapist located in San Diego. Uh, this was a really good episode. We talked about healing and empowerment through education, family, religion, stabilizing our mental health, and we also talked about the trans and non-binary experience. So enjoy. Hey, this is Sean Aaron. I'm the founder and executive director of Them Boys, Inc. I am also the host of Them Boys podcast. As you may know, Them Boys provides financial assistance to trans men of color in order for them to obtain gender affirming surgery. We have great news. We're currently looking for volunteers to help support our programs. Our programs include our gender affirming surgery grant program and also our personal care package program. We personally curate packages filled with personal hygiene items, just to name a few things like tissue, soap, towels, toothpaste, and toothbrushes. We mail them out to trans men of color across the country who may be in need of help caring for their personal hygiene needs. We are looking for volunteers to help raise funds to support our programs. Also, we're looking for someone locally to the Bay Area to help us put all of the care packages together. If our mission is something that resonates with you and you would like to help support our work, just let us know. You can send an email to hello at themboys.org. That is H-E-L-L-O at D-E-M-B-O-I-S dot org. And we will get back to you with further details. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the next episode. Welcome to Them Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Aaron. He, him, he is. And my next guest here is a first generation college student, trans, non-binary, bilingual therapist. Melly, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean, for having me. I'm excited to be here and to be part of this uh, podcast series that you got. I've listened to some of the episodes you've already put out and just, yeah, really inspired by the work that you're doing. So thanks for having me as a guest. Hey, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. So where are you located, Melly? Yeah, I'm coming from San Diego, California, occupied Kumeyaay land, uh, where I was actually born and raised. So I'll share a little bit more about that as we get into things. Uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So how's the weather out there right now? Oh, man, we've been uh, going through some heat waves and uh, it's actually feeling pretty tropical. <laughs> the okay. humidity is dense and it's hot. <laughs> oh, wow. OK, I've never actually been to San Diego. I've been to like Palm Springs, uh, but never in the San Diego area. So I definitely uh, should come visit. Yes, yes, come on down. I mean, we got it's coastal desert, right? So you have some coastal weather, but you also have some desert yeah. <laughs> desert weather too. Nice. Yeah. Right. So the name, I like to ask the guest this. So the name Melly, how did that name choose you? Oh, yes. That name, um, so it's a shortened version of what you know, I uh what was I guess my my dead name, if you will. Um, but it's also uh, a nickname that um, my mom also goes by. So my mom's name is Melania um, and she goes by Doña Meli, right? That's kind of what we call our elders is Doña or Don. And so as a kid, when I was growing up, everybody just called me Meli. And I preferred that from, you know, before I even knew I was trans, I preferred that over my my longer name. And so once I transitioned, I was like, this is like a core part of me. And like, I grew up with this name and it feels pretty neutral. It could swing one way or the other. Like, it, you know, it, it doesn't feel gendered. I guess mm. that's what I liked about it. Mm. And so I changed my name legally finally last year. And uh, that's what I went with. The only difference in my name is it's just now Melly. <laughs> so gotcha. I like, that. yeah. Congratulations on getting your name changed too. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A, we celebrate those milestones, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I like to say that that's my second birthday, actually. Oh, word. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So when nice. I finally got a chance to change my name, it was like, that's my birthday. That's when I was the, the new me, the who I am now, I was born. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What date is that, if you don't mind sharing? It is December 30th. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah, so right before the new year. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. So it's like that new year, like milestone, like right before the new year starts. So it's like definitely something to celebrate. Well, at that time, I mean, now it's like, you know, as time goes on, it's like, okay, I'm, this is just me now. Right. But like the first year or two, it was definitely call for celebration. So, right. Right. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your, your transition journey from beginning into who you are now. Yeah. So if it's okay with me to start about just to share a little bit about my upbringing, I think it really shaped like when I transitioned and why I transitioned. Um, so my parents migrated to the U.S. Uh, and entered the country as undocumented folks with my two older siblings. Uh, I had two older brothers. And then once they settled here in San Diego, they had me um, and I was born. And so being born into a mixed status family where like my parents are, or my family's all undocumented and I'm the only one that has that protection and that privilege of like, well, I, you know, I can't necessarily be deported, um, but my family can. So what does that mean for me? Um, that really, I mean, that experience, I would say really kind of had me and all of us in a survival mindset on a day-to-day basis, right? Which makes it hard to uh, tend to other things that maybe we need to work through or that like other mental health needs, other um, just even basic healthcare needs um, were kind of put to the side, right? And so I share that because as life went on, as I grew up, um, I did experience uh, family separation through, my, my, you know, my oldest brother was deported and then Later, my father was deported. And so that really propelled me into some more survival and needing to work and go to school. And so what I knew is that, like, I was really unhappy in my body and didn't have the language for my transition um, as a teenager. But I knew that I wanted freedom. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that looked like. But I knew that it was going to be through school and through doing better, whatever that meant. I just knew I wanted better for my life, right? from what like the opportunities that were given to me as a younger person and so my transition really began uh when i was 25 um and i started learning some language of like okay i think i'm non-binary because i've never felt primarily just male but also not just female definitely not female um but also not just fully male if that and and so what really resonated with me was kind of the two-spirit experience and like learning more of like Native American two-spirit people um, and how they were actually leaders and healers in their communities and their societies. And I was like, oh man, like I've always felt like I've carried some sort of like understanding that maybe other people uh, can't necessarily give, right? Um, being able to have been socialized one way, but felt maybe socialized as a woman, but that really felt more masculine. And like those, like embodying both just gave me a different uh, perspective of being able to empathize with people who are both masculine and feminine. All that to say that uh, when I was 25, and, and that was in 2017, my, my, my oldest brother who had been deported previously was murdered in, in Mexico. And that that really propelled me into like, whoa, like grief, right, is immense pain. And what I've learned in life is grief. Where there is grief, uh, there is also eventually new life. Hmm. And to me, that new life was my transition. And me being the man that I knew my brother to be, me being the man that I've always I felt a calling to be, but stepping up and and taking him with me um, as part of my transition and like looking for him and his guidance mm. as I've, you know, decided to start uh, hormones, um, which stabilized my mental health in a big way. You know, mm. um, I was also going through the training of becoming a therapist uh, shortly after my brother's passing and was moving through my own transition. So my medical transition along with becoming a therapist really shaped me into understanding how 
trans people's mental health is in alignment with our gender identity and being at peace with it and finding healing and finding joy and following our desires, right? Mm -hmm. And being authentically ourselves. You know, I've been saying a lot of words. I'm wondering how how you're receiving some of this. Yeah, I think that's amazing what what you're saying about one thing that stuck out to me. You said transitioning is stabilizing your mental health. Um, you want to speak on that a little bit, especially as as a therapist, like would you like to speak on that a bit about how how important it is for like maybe somebody that's listening that, you know, doesn't have a desire to transition. Maybe they're not a trans identified person, but like talking about stabilizing mental health, like how important is that for a person when they transition? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, as a therapist, I believe that doing our own work is part of being a therapist who can actually hold space and be in the process with somebody who is doing their own healing, right? As a therapist, I I approach my work as somebody who is guiding and walking the walk with you, not necessarily telling you where to go or what to do, right? Like that ultimately is the client's decision. And so I say that to share that that was my, like me doing my own healing is an important part of my work with clients. And if I'm not, you know, finding or doing the things I need to do to have a stable kind of stabilize my mental health, then it's going to pour into my work and it's going to impact my work. And so as like the trans guy in me, not, not so much the therapist, I took to kind of understanding like what was causing me the discomfort, what was making me unhappy in this body what was the dysphoria that was actually making it really hard to leave the house, you know, when menstruation maybe set in or PMS was coming in. Right. And this is before any hormones, before any social transition. Um, And I was listening to your podcast about courage Mm. (laughs) right before the most recent one. Right. Yes. Yeah. And I think that as trans people, we have a lot of experience with courage or we need to, Right. We we end up having to learn how to like solidify that skill time and time again. And I took to and, and in that very experience, I think in mental health is like getting real and with what is the pain, what is the distress, which I think is really hard to do because sometimes it makes it even more real, like naming it, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, okay, well, like I've actually never really like address my dysphoria which it's a lot it's like physical responses that my body would have to like i'm nauseous i have a headache just talking about it you know Mm, yeah and i learned in grad school i had a professor tell me you know based on what you're describing to me hormones um have proven to help and and kind of be like a supplement to the dysphoria that you're experiencing, like to help minimize this distress. And I was like, whoa, okay. Like I never, I guess I didn't think about it as such, right? I think people think hormones and it's like, oh, you, you know, you just want male privilege or you just want uh, to like, I don't know, bulk up or you just want, you know, and, and it's like, no, actually, this is what is providing me with the energy that I need to get through my day. And I actually feel the most congruent in my body and with my internal sense of self. And so to not have, I guess, what was all that gender noise of dysphoria, um, to start realizing because I started really like on a microdose. I was like, I'm gonna do the non-binary approach. I <laughs> just want subtle masculinization, right? And then I started and I was like, wow, it feels really incredible. And I think I started recognizing my power as a masculine person and presenting more masculine in society and realizing like, okay, like I can use this as a way to like change the ways people like experience masculinity for better, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think also it's like in explaining to, I think you, you answered it well, but also in explaining to how important it is. Like, just like you said, people think, oh, you just want male privilege or, or you just want to bulk up, but like not realizing that it is, it's, I, I like the word you said, congruent. It's congruent with your body, congruent with your mental health. It's all in alignment. Right. Um, it's, and, and it's like the starting hormones just closes that loop where people. Right. For the most part, for some people, some people it does not. But um, in in my case, and what I'm hearing from you is that it it closed that loop for you. It's like that missing link into something. Yes, yes. And I want to add to that, Sean, that as I I've been, I feel really fortunate that you know not only I had folks that were in my program that were attuned with gender affirming care, right? So thinking about hormones and a, and a, how is it improving the livelihoods? How is it making the life the lives of trans people better, right? Um, and recognizing that hormones are important for mood and stress regulation, right? And so when we don't have the affirming hormone that is congruent to our sense of self, we're going to be in distress, right? And we're going to only know that feeling of distress. And I think for our trans experience, sometimes we become used to being in distress and that is just our baseline, Mm. right? So it's hard to imagine anything beyond that. Mm. Um, And it's scary to imagine transitioning, right? Like, I don't know if it's going to help me. Like some people say it helps them, right? I, I hear that a lot. Hormones are important for our mood and stress regulation. And if we are struggling with depression, anxiety around gender stuff, uh, oftentimes, at least in my experience, hormones was a way for me to start stabilizing some of that that mm. depression and that anxiety. Mm. Mm-hmm. I know that I, I talked on a previous episode about um different levels of transitioning and how one thing or another doesn't equal the trans experience in its entirety. So what would you say to someone that's listening and like, well, you know, I I identify as trans, but hormones is not something that I would like to go and move forward with. How can I help with stress in this, this, how I'm feeling? What other means would you suggest for someone that doesn't necessarily want hormones? Yeah, I hear that quite often as well, right? People aren't necessarily ready or like it's not part of their transition right now or they just don't want it, period. In those aspects, we focus on, well, is there present dysphoria? Is there present distress? And sometimes there isn't. And then in those cases, it's like, well, who is it that you aspire to be? Who is it that when you deep down check in with like how you see yourself and kind of what makes you happy, what uh connections and what ways of connecting bring joy to you then that's kind of what we center it around some folks are more like it's a social thing right like or it's voice training um and then that's what you know makes them uh, kind of reach the levels of like okay like i don't necessarily have heavy dysphoria around my voice but i didn't need to do um hormones to kind of reach that uh I guess that level of um, minimizing the dysphoria around the voice, right? Um, For some folks, it's how are we presenting, right? Or becoming more comfortable in being, uh, or presenting more genderqueer, right? Um, Or, yeah, it's, it really kind of is dependent, I think, on the individual experience. But to echo that, you know, hormones doesn't mean that or being trans doesn't mean that you need to transition in the sense of like taking hormones or any medical sort of intervention right um but there are ways to yeah to other other ways to minimize dysphoria that aren't just hormones it could be binding it could be tucking it could be voice training it could be um you know for our trans femme folks, trans women, like facial feminization, right? Other procedures that maybe alleviate some of that dysphoria that doesn't, isn't just addressed through uh, hormone therapy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So in the end day time, your profession, you are a gender affirming therapist. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. That, that's amazing. And I <laughs> wish I would have had a 
trans therapist. Uh, I think that's important. I mean, it, it may not be accessible because, right, it's not, you know, you how hard is it to find a trans identified therapist? But I think it's important to know that someone shares the same experience as you. So tell us a little bit more about your your career as a therapist. Yeah. Well, can I share, uh, before I get into that, share a website that folks can maybe turn to if they're looking for a trans or queer therapist? So the National Trans and Queer Therapist of Color Network is a search engine um, for kind of like psychology today, but for uh, trans and queer therapists of color. So you can look up any therapist, any queer therapist uh, that's in your state um, who is providing therapy. So I'll even share that link with you if you want to drop yeah, it absolutely. in, 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 in your website, yeah. uh-huh, in the notes. So they're, they're a great search engine if for anybody looking for a therapist uh, or trans therapist of color. And how did I get into this work? Well, I think it was seeking healing from my own experiences, my own lived experiences that were very intersectional right um from family separation to like loss and like you know a violent loss of of losing my brother um but this long yearning sean for connection a long yearning for connection from my earliest days i could remember i just was like i just wanted to sit down and have a meal at the dinner table with my family but we were all always in our own survival that that never happened you know and so I'll I'll start with 2017 and how challenging you know it was to grieve my brother's death um but something that I think that I've always from a young age been challenged has been been put into situations that are really painful but been able to come out and be like, I don't want that, <laughs> you know, and maybe my, my pain threshold over time, hopefully I like to think is getting smaller and smaller because I'm paying attention mm-hmm. to the cues a little bit more, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, wanting, yeah, wanting better, wanting connection and wanting um, to heal and to not be in toxic dynamics. I think I've learned how to be in, in codependent relationships that were not serving me, but I needed them for survival. And so realizing like, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to be in that position. And what do I need to do to make sure I'm not, I like, I'm actually healing. Right. And I'm not repeating those same patterns of violence in my adult life. Uh, So for me, what that looked like was going back to school um, to get my master's in counseling I didn't think I wanted to do clinical work. I thought I wanted to work in like student affairs and work at a university, uh, which there's a part of me that still wants to, but I'm realizing how important. um, I mean, you know, I think the numbers of our suicide rate for trans people were like, just, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Like I would hear it and I was just like, wait, that's real? Like, and then starting to see clients and starting to see youth and starting to work with youth and young adults and realizing like, wow, like we really are, can feel really alone in our own journeys. Right. And feeling like, okay, I think this is a calling. Like I've never really known what the clear path of where I'd be at in my adult life, but I knew that living authentically and then being, uh, you know, having a life of service um, was what I wanted to do. And so I think that's how I found myself in this position. Grateful that opportunities opened up for me to work under somebody who's been doing gender affirming work for like the last 15 years and is well not is knowledgeable, is well resourced. And so she's taken me under her wing. And I it's yeah a blessing to have somebody who believes in me cares about me and like is teaching me a lot about gender affirming work and mental health you know yeah. and the different ages adolescents young adults and then adults so how is therapy different in the different stages do you think for someone that is adolescent experiencing um 
with a trans experience versus someone that's a young adult versus to someone like myself uh, who is a much older adult at 41 like how how would are how are the levels of the therapy different for folks yeah yeah so it's actually really just really incredible i think even from my own experience to work with youth who have parents who are supportive because i'm in private practice so mm. to keep in mind in private practice folks want to see you right folks are seeking your services out and so oftentimes I'm not necessarily faced with parents who are like, oh, I don't know if I like I'm not going to do that. Like parents are seeking to put their kids in this type of care and like trust, trust us. Right. And and trust our guidance. And so working with little ones is, you know, kids know. I mean, you knew at a young age. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. I think I knew. I don't think I didn't know. I transitioned later in life. So I transitioned when I was in my thirties. I don't think that I knew about the trans experience per se, but I knew that I was different. Right. And not having that outlet to talk about different, being different and how I felt different. And I, I did it in a way where I acted out, I acted out a lot right? and not understanding it. But as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, this is what all this is about. Right. Yeah. Yes. And now having to go back and tell that little kid, like, it's, you know, we don't need to act out anymore. Right. Mm, that's so yeah. important. That's so important. I think, and my therapist, uh, actually, because I believe in therapy and I talk about therapy a lot in my episodes of how important it is. And it's important for the healing. And I think that, yes, having to be having a little bit of grace and telling your younger self, you know, you think that, oh, I'm grown now. That younger self is no longer here, but actually it is. Mm-hmm. And until you move through that healing, you have to actually heal that younger person. So you have to tell yourself, you know, move with grace and, you know, talk to that younger part of yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Why are you acting out? What's going on? What do you need? Right. Yeah, exactly. You got to be gentle with your younger self, but that younger self is still here. Uh-huh. Hey, this is Sean Aaron, the host of Them Boys podcast. Are you enjoying the podcast so far? Great. I'm glad that you are. Would you consider donating today to help support the continuation of this podcast? As you know, this podcast aims to serve as a platform to highlight and amplify the voices of trans men of color and share our transition stories. The podcast not only aims to amplify trans men of color voices, but it also raises awareness around our lived experiences. You would like to donate? Where can you donate? Great. I'm glad that you asked. Link in our description will take you directly to Network for Good, whom we've partnered with in order to collect donations for the podcast. Or you can visit our website on the website, click the donate button. And from there, you are able to donate directly to the podcast. All donations are tax deductible. What does the donations go to? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. Your donation will help to support our production costs. We are working with Jasmine from Pink Lady Productions that brings you this awesome content. And also, we pay our guests an honorarium. Pay our guests an honorarium? Yes, we do. Why? Because as trans men of color, we would like to support and uplift each other and honor the time that's given out to come here and share their stories. So if you love this podcast, share and donate. See you on the next episode. Take care. So my question, my next question is like, what about someone like me? You're like, okay, I transitioned in 2013. So it's been a long time, right? So it's like, what would you recommend for someone like myself? Do you, as far as therapy go, do you think like once you transition, okay, you're done, you don't need therapy. Like, well, how do you feel about continuing with therapy even long after transitioning into your adult life? Yeah, no, I mean, I, so my work, I meet you where you're at, right? I am going to be curious about, you know, and by the way, congrats for having been, you know, transitioned in 2013. That's almost 10 years living authentically as yourself. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, point being like, it's, you know, I think it's gotten somewhat more, we've been more visible as the years have gone on in 2013. I don't think we were very visible. So, you know, uh, Props and and shout out to you for doing that back then. Mm -hmm. To answer your question of, yeah, I think therapy, it it is a lifelong process. Mm -hmm. I think for me, I see myself being in it always, but taking breaks because we can't always be focused on doing the work, right? Life's going to happen and then we revisit, right? So that's how I see it is working on yourself, taking some breaks, live your life. 
Okay, stuff is happening. You need that space again. Let's go back, process, unpack, heal, right? Mm-hmm. Repeat. So to sit, you know, if you were to show up in uh, the booth with me, and that's what I refer to the space, right? <laughs> in the booth, you know, I'd be like, well, like, what, you know, what brings you back? What 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 is it that has been going on with you? You know, you've transitioned, doesn't mean you're done. There's other lived experiences that we have. There's stuff happening in the world still that directly impacts how we feel, right? And so let's talk about it. You know, how are you taking care of yourself? Which is a big, I think one of the first things to go out the door when life gets really busy. Um, But I think one of the most crucial and revolutionary acts for us as black and brown trans people is to really take care of ourselves are not just our mental health, but our physical well-being as well. Yeah. So you're saying that it's that it's important even later in life to continue with the work of right. yourself. Right. So you consider therapy so a self-care technique? One hundred percent. Yeah. Just one of the one of the many things that we need to, you know, keep up with our maintenance of caring for ourselves. Mm, very uh-huh. true. So yeah. what what does your support outside of therapy like what does your support system look like? I know you mentioned your family, you, you know. What what does it look like now? Is it more chosen family or your your blood family? How does that look for you right now? Yeah, that's a good question. It is. It's a, it's a lot of chosen family, it's a lot of wonderful friends and this year I told myself what I really need for my healing is I need space from spaces and people that are still filtering parts of me for their own comfort. Mm. Um, and so instead I'm only going to center like, pri- like prioritizing being with trans and non-binary people or people who like my chosen fam, who I don't have to filter parts of me. I could just show up as all parts of me. Um, and like, it's not a problem, right. Or people aren't necessarily made uncomfortable. And so Doing that has really given me what I need to be able to go back to some of my like blood family and say, hey, this is who I am. Because I'm not it, right now it's still a what I call a tacit subject. Like we all know, but nobody talks about it. Mm. And I'm ready for them to start seeing me as the mijo, as the sobrino, as the nephew as the son that I am, right? And it's a, it's been a work in progress. So I, I realized I needed that space and to immerse myself in community with people that do love me and care about me so that I can then go back and have the capacity to be like, hey, hey, mom, like I've been telling you I'm your son and I need you to get with the shits here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and it's her own process. She's trying, um, but... I think something for for my mom is really the way people cope in our culture is alcoholism or um, what was it, an addiction to religion. Hmm. And my mom has been an addiction to religion. Hmm. Uh-huh. And so you can imagine having a trans son, you, you, you know? Yeah. And, and Sean, just rec- being able to recognize that has been what that was, a big sigh. Hmm. Like, okay, that's what I'm up against. You know, it's not that my mom doesn't love me or that she doesn't want to see me. It's that she's been through so much stuff and she's clinging on to her religion because that's what's gotten her by. And right now she doesn't know how to integrate her religion and her son. And that's okay. (laughs) I'm going to help her figure that out. (laughs) Help her get it together, right? Yeah, that's actually... That is a good topic, actually. We should we could go on and on about that. Like, let's let's talk more about that of like that addiction to religion. I think that's that is I've never heard anybody say it like that, right? Like an addiction to religion. And it's like it's an it's also an, a survival boat because just like you said, she used it as a way to get through and make it. And a lot of time my mom was super religious as well. Um, I talked about that when I came out of how you know, I was damned to hell and all of that. So what would what, you say? How do, oh, I don't even know how to tackle this question because <laughs> religion, that's a whole nother beast like that. 
you know, it's hard to fight with somebody. I remember once I told, I asked my mom the question. She kept saying, Jesus, this God, that God, that but I'm like, but how do you feel like personally outside of all of that? What's your personal opinion? She had none. Right. So what would be your suggestion to someone that's like, oh my God, I listened to this, like, oh my goodness, my parent is addicted to religion too. Yeah. Like, they, <laughs> what would you say to someone like, how would because you're still dealing with it yourself right so it, it you, it's still a work in progress for you but how would you help someone else to like tackle that to deal with that yeah i mean i think i think there's a lot of power and relief in being able to just name it right i think that that's what happened for me at least like i was speaking to an elder in the community who works uh with parents um spanish speaking parents and she's the one that that pointed that out for me. And, and I was like, wow, just naming it like, OK, that's what I'm up against. It's not that my parent feels this way, is that her backbone has been this religion, mm-hmm. her safe place, her faith when she's been, you know, lost her firstborn son mm-hmm. violently. Like, I, I can't see her children right now because of documentation status. I'm you know, there's this. I'm able to go see her, but my my other brother can't, right? And so, like, just immense pain that I can't imagine mm. she's, that she's experienced, and this is what has helped her get through, right? So I think trying to, what I would say to somebody is really just looking at the situation for what it is, and this is what we're, what we're facing, right? It's in separating the religion addiction from the parent, um, because that, I think you, you, the way you were sharing your conversation with your mom, but what do you, what do you think? What do you feel? Yeah. That is what we, I think it, it, it is labor that falls on us as the, the trans people <laughs> um, to have grace and patience with them, but ch- also challenge them and call them in the ways in which you called your mom in. Yeah. Right. Um, but we need to have that capacity to do that. And so for me, what that's look like is, you know, I need space first. I'm going to go feed my soul, feed my spirit, Mm. love on myself, be with people that love me. And then I think I'll be able to come back and integrate these parts of that. You know, I want I want my mom in my life. Mm. She's hurt me, but it really hasn't. It's been she hasn't really fully understood me. That's why. So I'm trying to help her understand me. Mm. That's so important. I think, and and I don't want people to get it mistaken of like I'm saying, damn to religion. That's not what I'm saying. I hope that's not what you're saying. Yeah, but no. I mean, but if it was, that's your opinion and you, you're free to that. But yeah. uh, I want to say I, I agree with religion in a certain aspect. I'm not a religious person, but if for someone, if that's what you need to be a better person, then yeah. by all means. But yeah. it, when you're talking about addiction to religion, it's where it overtakes your own opinions and your own values and it's it's kind of murky it's no it's not separated and i think the you know religion can be used as a guidance guiding point but it shouldn't i won't go there (laughs) but i won't i mean it It can be a guiding point it shouldn't be your identity yes well said yes absolutely i think uh yeah my mom had a hard time and i've really resonate with you saying you had to separate yourself and take some space because uh i remember uh i used to go to my mom's house I, my mom lives five minutes away from me but i don't go there that often i could literally look out my back my window and look and i could see where my mom's house is like but i don't go there but i i remember some years ago i would try and i would try to make her understand and my 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 partner at the time when I came out of the house because she used to go with me and when I came out of the house she was like do you realize what you do every time you go in your mom's house and I'm like no what do I do she's like you're a totally different person she like your voice changes your mannerisms change the way you, I don't even know this person right. and I had to take a step back and I'm like oh shit I'm modifying myself to please them and I'm not being myself I'm not being authentic to myself and that kind of shook me a bit so I took some time away. And I didn't go over to my mom's house for a very long time. Yeah. I didn't call her for a very long time because I needed to be around people who loved me for who I was. And I didn't have to change and shift and act differently 
So mm-hmm. then when I did re-enter into my mom's life, I was able to ha- I was able to stand more solid in who I was. And my voice didn't change. My mannerisms didn't change. You know what I mean? So I really understand what you're saying of like needing mm-hmm. to take a step back and to take care of yourself first. Yeah. Yeah. Solidify, be a little bit more sturdy next time you walk in there. Yeah. I want to speak a little bit to that, Sean, because that that level of code switching that you were doing, right, is a it's it's a skill, but then to some degree it can become a maladaptive skill, right? Mm-hmm. It's a skill in the sense that we learn how to do that for our safety, right? For maintaining relationships because we need relationships for survival. Mm-hmm. But it becomes maladaptive because what's actually happening is we dissociate in those moments. We're not really ourselves. We're dissociating from parts of who we are. And that further perpetrates not being authentic. And when we are trying to be authentic, it feels wrong. For that very reason, we need to take the space Mm. because it's confusing for our internal sense of self. Like, wait, (laughs) having to do that back and forth, right? But it is also a need that we have to do sometimes for survival. So it's a, a double-edged sword. Yeah. Something that I, I want to touch on. So as a non-binary um, trans person, trans-identified person, you want to talk about that a little bit more? Because I, I think that a lot of times folks think that, you know, when we transition, we have to be one way or the other. It's just right. this way. It's just hormones. It's just it's like it's so rigid, you know, and there's no. I feel like people don't express their own side of be, their trans identity as someone that's maybe like non-binary or gender non-confirming or, you know, trans masculine may not be someone's full identity. So would you like to share that a bit about how that works for you? Yeah, yeah. I think for me, I've always felt not fully one way or the other, right? I've definitely was not female, but I also definitely wasn't fully male. And as I've masculinized, as I've socially and medically transitioned, I feel masculine leaning. I am more masculine presenting, but I still have this knowledge and this energy and this wisdom that is centered around my previous lived experience, right? And so I carry that with me And I, most days, if you were to ask me, I feel masculine, you know, I refer to myself as a man and coming into my manhood. And some days I'm like, nope, I'm just, you know, non-binary today. Today, more neutral stuff feels better, right? Um, I think it also leaves space for some gender queerness to, Mm. it just, it feels like an expansion, like, we're looking at it as a spectrum. Like I am masculine leaning for sure. And masculine language feels good. And so does neutral language. Um, because there is a fluidity to my, my experience as a masculine person. Um, that I feel like men don't necessarily capture. And so that's why it's not like being fully male and just male doesn't feel fitting but I do feel like a man mm. and and it's beautiful to be a man in in the ways that I'm learning uh my manhood and and sharing that with other other men I wanted to share real briefly about actually I was just on a oh, retreat hey. um with brown boy project which I know you you were a part of too it, it was a brown boy project where I was like whoa like masculine of centered people we are literally like everywhere and it was great i've realized like i will never feel the the depth of loneliness that i maybe once felt as a brown boy Mm. (laughs) of like nobody gets me nobody gets this experience and instead it was a group of masculine centered people coming together to talk about how can we have healthier forms of masculinity right how can we uh, it was liberate our masculinities. Mm. And I think that for me, my non-binariness is very much doing that is liberating my masculinity. And it can look like any which way for me. 
I know um, I've had another brown boy on here and I like it. So the brown boy project, would you like to explain what the brown boy project is? I'm new to it, but yeah, I'll, I'll share a little bit of what I know. Um, okay. is they are a organization who um, pours into masculine upsetter folks uh, to be leaders um, and work on leadership development to go back into their communities and continue doing the incredible work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, would you please add to to some more of that? <laughs> no, I think you you hit it. You you right. And I think it's it's definitely an intense um, leadership development for masculine of center folks. And that's where I I gained a lot of relationships, a lot of friendships, a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of a, a brown boy project has been a came in an important part in my life and it helped me to pivot into mm-hmm. who I am now. I would I like to say in so many different ways. Um, but it was, it was a lot like a confidence building and just seeing other folks just like you similar and even with shared experiences, non-shared, I learned a lot. Like I can't even, it's hard to explain unless you are actually in that space. And I know it was told to us once leaving the space that people ain't gonna understand this space because they're not here. And it's true. So it's kind of really, it's really hard to put in the words sometimes, but it is definitely an incubator for masculine the center folks to hone in on their leadership skills and abilities yes Um, yes yes a a word that comes up is it felt sacred too like Mm, sacred yes yes Yes. Yes. sacred and safe is a a very safe space yes um and brown boys i think when we say brown boys but it's just like folks that i've been through this leadership retreat but when you meet another person that consider themselves a brown boy it's almost like a family it's like i it's like a, a a badge of honor type of thing. It's like I see you, we family. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like yeah. So. Yeah. Do you have any advice that you would like to give to someone? Um, any like last words of something that you feel like someone listening would needs to hear? Hmm. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is you know um, center your healing, center your healing in whatever way that looks like in whatever way is accessible to you for the time being um pour into yourself i think about audrey lord's uh self-preservation is in an act of self-indulgence it's an act of self-preservation right and that in and of itself is revolutionary and i think as trans as black and brown trans people or just trans people of color uh that that is what's kept us moving right think about our ancestors and how now we have access to care and just the the history of you know how our medicine has tried to be erased our medicine has been gatekept um mental health has stigmatized us right but we've persevered right we're still here and and we've done that by being able to also tend to our needs, right? To make sure that we are here tomorrow yeah. um, because we deserve that and we deserve joy and we deserve love. So um, pursue your desires, pursue your authentic self and pour into your healing. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Pour into your healing. So important. Mm-hmm. And it's on a continuum. Healing is on a continuum. That. Yeah. That. Yes. So this is a part of the show where I like to ask the guests a random question. So I have a list that's growing. I added another question the other day. So now the list is at 23 questions. So pick a number between one and 23. The question may or may not have anything to do with what we talked about today. So that, yeah. Um, Can I also ask you to answer a question afterwards? Absolutely. I'm open to that. All right. All right. I'm going to do number eight. Number eight says, if you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? I would, I, you know, excuse me if this is really big, but I would change that border. I would eliminate that border. Gone. You know, <laughs> it's a fear-based wall that like is not doing anything but causing pain and violence. Mm, and death. And, uh, yeah. yeah. I think about our, our trans uh, migrant siblings who are also, you know, come to the border seeking asylum and yeah there's just a lot of happening so i would erase that border 
Mm-hmm. I like that. Remember unified families and people. Yes. Yes, yes. How about you? What number would you pick? Oh, that's not fair. I because <laughs> I know them. So I tell you what, you you give me a number and that's the question I answer. Okay. Okay. Um, your number is gonna be 18. Ah, okay. So number 18 is you meet your 18-year-old self. You are allowed to say only three words. What do you say? Yeah. Uh. So I meet my 18-year-old self. Ooh, my 18-year-old self was a mess. <laughs> I was going through a lot. Um, and some I've answered this question, and I don't remember that answer, which is good, because then I got to come up with a different one. Yeah. Hmm. I think if I saw my 18-year-old self, I would say, love yourself now. Mm-hmm. That's That was what stuck out of my mind. Love yourself now. I waited years, years, years to love myself. Mm-hmm. 41, I'm just now starting to really, really like dig into loving myself. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of, damn, I'm getting you know, super emotional. Mm-hmm. But loving myself, love yourself now. Don't wait till you're 21, 22, 25. Love, that's it for anybody listening too. Love yourself now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. yeah. Melly, yeah. hey, you got me emotional. I don't like that. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. It feels, you know, it's uncomfortable, yeah. but it's important. So yeah, I for sure. letting yourself go there. Yeah. yeah, for sure. My 18-year-old self was definitely a mess. And so... And that's like, right, we talked about earlier of, of speaking to that younger self and being gentle with that younger self. So that's definitely, it was like, love yourself. Love yourself now. And when I tell my 18-year-old self and I tell my 41-year-old self, love yourself now. Yes. Very important. Yes, yes. yes. I'm glad that you were able to find that. Yeah. Come thank home you. to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Melly, it's thank been you. a pleasure. Thank you for being a guest here. Yes. Thank you for having me, Sean. Yes. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to today's show. Once again, I'm your host. My name is Sean Aaron. Be sure to like, be sure to share this show out with folks in your networks. If you would like to connect with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. You can also visit our website at demboys.org. That's D E M. B-O-I-S dot org. If you think you will make a great guest on the show, or maybe you have a question for myself or a future guest that you would like to hear answered on the show, please send an email to hello at themboys.org. That's H-E-L-L-O at themboys.org. Until next time, take care.